Isaiah 40, verse 8, says the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. I don't know if there's any other announcements. That's probably it. Oh, we have uh, daylight savings coming up this weekend. So. <laughs> so uh, we're losing. Oh. oh, we get to gain an hour. Uh, we get an extra hour. Extra hour of sleep. Well, that's good news. All right. So praise the Lord. We're going through the book of um, Acts, and this is uh, the eight steps from death to life. And God never deviates from his ways. He's always the same. And so we're just kind of been looking at examples. And tonight we're going to start with Acts chapter 9, where Saul, you know, he is on the road to Damascus. And so let's start with Acts chapter 9. And we're just going to go through the first part of this is just the chronology of the experience. The chronology of the experience. So Saul of Tarsus, at midday there was a light brighter than the sun. And it shone round about them. So if you imagine that the sun is shining, let's say it's noontime and it's the brightest time of the day, and there was something that just was so much more glorious than our noonday sun. It was a light that was brighter than the sh sun. And Acts 9 verse 3 says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Um, he retells the story two times in the book of Acts. And, and I'll just kind of jump between Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 16, where you can see Paul retelling the story of his experience. Acts 22, verse 6, it says, It came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And then Acts 26, 13, when he's telling the king, he said, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. So that's the first thing, the chronology of the experience. The second thing is they all fell down to the earth, all of them. In Acts 9, verse 4, it's talking about Saul, it says, He fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And him, when he's retelling his experience in Acts 22, verse 7, it says, And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then in Acts 26, when he's telling the king, he says in verse 14, when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And then the third thing in the chronology of his experience was he heard that voice 
that voice saying, Saul, Saul, and he heard it in the Hebrew tongue. And that's in those same three verses, Acts 9, 4, Acts 22, 7, and Acts 26, 14. And then the fourth thing in that chronology of his experience is where Paul responds. And he says, who are you, Lord? By, so we talked about this before. Paul was, or Saul, right? He was very uh, religious. The Bible says he was uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was taught by a guy by the name of Gamaliel, who was a very extremely uh, intelligent and had a great reputation um, as being a rabbi in those days. And so he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures well. And so when he said, who art thou, Lord, you remember in the Old Testament that the Lord revealed himself by, himself by different names. You, you've heard of the different names. You've heard of Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, all the different Jehovah, Jehovistic names, right? You've heard of those? I did a study on it one time. And so all these different combination names. So what Saul is saying is, okay, he knows this is God. By which one of your names, which one of your identities that you revealed yourself to, which one have I persecuted? And you guys know what the answer was, right? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Okay, so he said, who art thou, Lord, in Acts 9, verse 5? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And that's also retold in Acts 22, verse 8, and also in Acts 26, verse 15. And so that was Paul's response, and God's response in this fifth thing was, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he said that in Acts 9, 5, Acts 22, 8. And then Acts 26, 15, I'm going to read that through verse 18, where Paul is retelling this story to the king. He said, I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And one of the things in Acts chapter 22, verse 9, at this point, the others that were with Paul, at this point, heard not the voice of him that spake to Paul. So remember, the other ones fell down. They all fell. There was a, a great light. But it says in Acts 22, 9, And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So those that were with Paul at this point did not hear the voice. 
So Paul asked this question, what would you have me to do? He asked that in Acts 9, 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And in Acts twenty two ten, 10, Paul says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? So that's what Paul's asking. What should I do? The Lord responds. God said, arise, go. It will be told thee what thou must do. He said that in Acts 9, 6. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And we also see this in Acts chapter 22, verse 10. And then this eighth thing is the others stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So now we had read something in Acts 22 where it said they didn't hear the voice. They saw the light. But now we see in Acts 9, 7, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And verse 8 says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And in Acts 22, verse 11, And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. So those are those eight things in the chronology of the experience. But we're going to look at the eight things. Did you guys, see, did you guys pay attention? Did you notice them? The eight things in the plan of salvation, Paul's experience of the eight steps in this same passage. So we'll just kind of shine a light on that for a second. Did you guys see Revelation? Where did you guys see Revelation? God revealing himself in Acts 9. We'll just go through Acts, the Acts 9. Acts 9, 3 through 5, maybe. Right? As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, Paul was a devout Jew. He really believed what he believed. And this is quite a revelation for Paul. This is quite an eye-opener. I don't know, has anyone ever had that before? Where he's like, whoa, man, I had it all wrong. And then, did anyone um, see any recognition? You see the revelation. Do you see recognition? I think we see it in verse 6 where it says, And he trembling and astonished. He was literally trembling and he was astonished. He, he was going around persecuting and killing Christians. Because he thought this was heresy. He thought this was heretical. And so he was, he had letters from the high priests and, and he was, the Christians were in hiding and they feared Saul. And so now Saul gets a revelation and he's trembling and astonished, coming into recognition. 
And then he responds. Do you guys see him responding there in that same verse, in verse 6? He responds. He says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that's a place that we get to. After we really see who he is, we come into recognition, and then we say, okay, God, now what do I do? What would you have me to do? And that's how Paul responded. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, repentance. Did anyone see repentance? So it's a little harder to see, but we can look at verse 9. He was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Now remember, repentance is obedience. Repentance is allowing God to get down and change your very motive. And so somebody who's saying they've repented and they're still living in sin, that that's not really truly a repentant heart. So now he's obeying. He's following the direction what the Lord would have him to do. He's three days without sight. He's fasting. And he goes when the Lord tells him to go. And then remission. He was baptized. And we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So Saul was baptized. Now, did, did he receive the Holy Ghost? Did Paul receive the Holy Ghost? Does anyone know if he received the Holy Ghost? Did anyone see that anywhere? So let's go back to the Acts 9, 17, where it says, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So we know that he did receive the Holy Ghost. Did you guys know that the Apostle Paul spoke with tongues? Did you guys know that? Yeah, he did. Actually, I have that scripture right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. Paul wrote, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. That's what Paul said. And so there are some people that would like to use Paul's writings there in 1 Corinthians to say we shouldn't be speaking with tongues. That's not what Paul was writing about. He said, I thank my God, hey, that I speak in tongues more than you all. But there's some disorder in the church. That's what he was addressing and the gift of tongues. So do, do you see where Paul... Now he's filled with the Spirit. Do you see where he remained in the church? And remaining in the church, that's where we grow. And we've got to be around the brothers and sisters, the family of God, develop relationship. And uh, iron sharpens iron and, you know, dipsticks and all that kind of stuff. 
Remember that one, Michael? Yeah. You haven't heard the dipsticks? Oh, yeah, the spiritual dipsticks. You come to church. Yeah, you remember that now? Yeah, those spiritual dipsticks. Those individuals that uh, they try you. They try to see how much patience you got. But when you do, when you check the oil and it shows on the dipstick that you're low on oil, you don't throw that dipstick down and stomp on it and kick it and get mad at the dipstick, right? So sometimes we have dipsticks in our lives that come along and show us we're a little low on patience. We're a little low on love. You know, forgiveness maybe. (laughs) So remaining is very important. In Acts chapter 9, verse 19, it said, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. So Saul was this guy who was going around. He had letters from the chief priests, and he was persecuting Christians, putting them to death. And Stephen, we know, was uh, the one, one of the ones that we heard about in, in the book of Acts chapter, was it uh, 7, where they stoned Stephen? And so here was Paul. He was persecuting, killing Christians. And now imagine if you had been a Christian in, in that day. Would you be afraid? Like, hey, and we're having church on Sunday. Guess, guess who's going to be here, guys? <laughs> Saul of Tarsus. You mean the guy who's been persecuting all the Christians? <laughs> and so, you know, they've been in hiding from this guy, you know. And so, yeah, he's, he'll, be at, he'll be speaking here at church on Sunday. <laughs> Imagine what they were feeling. And so, Acts chapter 9, verse 20, can we see any reproducing how Paul... Now, as he began to grow and mature in Christ, that people came to the Lord. We can see that in his life. Acts 9, verse 20. Straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. He was the first basket case in the scripture. Basket. And then Acts 9, 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They didn't actually believe it. They were afraid. Yeah, sure. This is, good. This is some kind of trick, right? He's pretending to be converted so he can locate all of us and then, whoo, right? They didn't believe it. But Barnabas, 
took him, he took Paul, and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he, how Paul, had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, the Lord had spoken to Paul, right? And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So that's the story of Saul. And so just kind of going through these eight things. Vine's uh, Dictionary, uh, just, just something to think about. In Acts 9-7 where it talks about hearing the voice, remember those that were with Saul, we read that one scripture, they didn't hear it. And we read the one scripture they heard, right? So is it a contradiction? So this is what Vine says. The noun voice is in the partitive genitive case, hearing something of. But in Acts 22.9, they heard not the voice. The construction is with the accusative. This removes the idea of any contradiction. The former indicates a hearing of the sound. And then the other one in Acts 22 indicates the meaning or message of the voice. This they did not hear. The former denotes the sensational perception. They perceived there was a voice. The latter, right, the accusative case. So they heard, but they didn't know what was being said. Um, and then this was spoken in the Hebrew tongue. We read that in Acts 26, 14. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue. So Paul heard Saul, Saul. He heard uh, this voice in the Hebrew tongue. He, Saul said, who are, art thou, Lord? And he was trembling. He was astonished. And that voice said, I am Jesus. Those that were with him heard not the voice of him that spoke and were afraid. So um, that's the story of Saul. He arose, he was blind, he was led away. But then we saw how the story ends. He receives the Holy Ghost. He's baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he goes preaching the name of Jesus. And the word of God is greatly multiplied. Then when we go to Acts chapter 10. Who's in Acts chapter 10? Anyone know without looking? Who is it? Cornelius. Very good. Somebody's calling me. So I guess they're not going to make it to church tonight. <laughs> so here's a question. Could Cornelius have already been a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you think he could have been? already a disciple of Jesus Christ. What do you think? Who knows much about the story here in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius? Rosette? Yes? Ruth does. Ruth knows a lot. So,
could he have known already who Jesus was before Peter came to his house? How shall they know without a preacher? So Cornelius was in Caesarea. Did you guys know that? It says that in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Centurion means he was over 100 soldiers. If you look that up. So Cornelius was in Caesarea. Now Philip had already been to Caesarea. We read that in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, two chapters prior. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So Philip the evangelist had already been to Caesarea, and that's where Cornelius was. Could he have known about Jesus Christ by this time? Paul had already been to Caesarea. We see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 30 which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Paul had been to Caesarea. So Philip is the one who probably brought uh, revival to Caesarea. He probably became the presiding elder of the church that he started in Acts 21, verse 8. It says, the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. So his house was there, Philip, which was one of the seven and abode with him. So let's look at the eight steps in Cornelius's life in Acts chapter 10. Did he have revelation? Did he have understanding of who God was? Well, we can look at in Acts chapter 10 and we can see some verses that give us those clues. Acts 10, 36, when Peter is preaching to Cornelius and his household, he says, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know. Peter is telling Cornelius, he said, that word I say you know, you know it already, which was published throughout all Judea. And began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And then 1042, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. But let's go a little earlier in the chapter. And let's see if we can see anything about Cornelius in verse 2 through 4. A devout man, one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Did this guy have some revelation? He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. So, and then we know from John chapter 9, verse 31 says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. And um, years ago when we used to have Brother Maurice, he used to always stand and testify. Man, I think God, God hears a sinner's prayer. God, he started his testimony. God hears a sinner's prayer. And just one day I go, you know, Brother Maurice, it says in the scripture that we know that God heareth not sinners. 
I just had to say it. I just, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So we know that Cornelius' prayer was heard. So he's a worshiper of God and one who does his will. Because the one who worships God and does his will is the one that's heard. And we know because the angel came and said, your prayers have been heard, Cornelius. So there had to be some revelation. There had to be some understanding in Cornelius's life of who Jesus was. And he probably had heard the preaching before. Recognition. Do we recognize any verses that show recognition? Well, yeah. In two verses, Acts 10.2 and in Acts 10.22, it says that he feared God. That is symbolic of recognition. A devout man, verse 2 says, and one that feared God with all his house. So had Cornelius come into recognition. There's a lot of people that I know that just don't seem to have any fear of God. They live life any way they want to live. They do whatever they want to do. And so we, I think we talked about that before when I was out. Um, I'd spent three days with Brother Reed out. I flew out there, sat down with him. He gave me an assignment when I was there. He said, go through the book of Proverbs and find all the defining passages of the fear of God. He said, there's eight of them. And I, that's so funny because I had memorized one when I was a probably a teenager, about 19. I was reading through the Bible, and I read that scripture in Proverbs chapter 8, I think verse 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. And I thought, there's the definition of the fear of the Lord. And so I used to tell everyone for years, I, go, I, know, I found the definition of the fear of the Lord. But then Brother Readout told me there's eight definitions. So I was like, okay, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, Okay, what else? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I started going through all the fear of the Lord passages. And he said, now, there are eight that are, talks about the fear of the Lord more. But there are eight passages that actually help define it. So Cornelius had a fear of God. And then the, uh, which, oh, which sent me on another rabbit trail, too. Um, when I was studying the fear of the Lord, <laughs> Brother Readout kept going, shooting those rabbits. <laughs> um, it, it talked, I was thinking about different kinds of fear, right? There's the fear of God, right? And then there's that scripture that says, perfect love casteth out fear. And so I was sitting with Brother Smith, and this was after I had been out there. And Brother Smith, we were going through one of the studies, and Brother Smith read something. I go, I was just like looking. And the statement that Brother Readout said in the lesson was, imperfect fear casteth out love. And I go, wait a second. And Brother Smith's like, what, what are you talking about? I go, this statement, imperfect fear casteth out love. And he goes, we, we can't get sidetracked. we got to keep going. <laughs> I go, Brother Smith, I, and I told him the story about that assignment. And I said, there's something here, imperfect fear, because it's not just the fear. There is a fear that's not perfect. There's the imperfect fear that casts out love. 
But there's perfect fear, right? That fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. But anyways, so we got sidetracked, and he said, well, you're going to have to email CR, Brother Readout. Now, Brother Readout used, used to have a Q&A list, and you would people send him questions all the time, and then he would respond with these very lengthy documents and detailed answers. And so I emailed him my question, and he responded, and I made the Q&A document that went out to everybody. And so I remember Brother Smith said, hey, your question made the Q&A document. So that was like, you know, something to be proud about, made the Q&A document. But it was about that imperfect fear that casts out love. That was the question I had. So responding. Did he respond? Did Cornelius respond? He did respond. We can see in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here, we're all here, present before God, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. We are here. We're responding. The whole family's here. We're ready to hear everything that's commanded of God. This is a responding. And then repentance. Um, do we see signs of repentance? We do. Uh, we see them in several places. We see in Acts 10.35 where Peter's saying, But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And we have several other passages throughout. It doesn't specifically use the word repenting, but we can see signs of repentance in Cornelius' life. And then remission. In Acts 10.43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And then we could see in the last two verses of this chapter, Acts 10.47 and 48, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And I've heard people tell me that baptism was not essential for salvation. Has anyone ever heard that? I've heard that. And so I said, imagine Peter preaching at your church. You guys would probably kick him out because he commanded these, these guys to be baptized. Anyway, so that's just a little side note. So baptized, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Through his name and the name of Jesus Christ, this new birth is one experience, and God gives them the Holy Ghost. So they, uh, they heard, 44 through 46, and while Peter yet spake these words, verse 44. Now, this is one of the, this is one of the passages that I, I'll just tell you. There was a lady that called me, and her son used to go to this church, and she wanted to talk to me. She had been to Bible college and wanted to meet me at Starbucks. So we were sitting at Starbucks in Cameron Park, and she was saying, I don't agree with this and this and this and this. I said, well, I started going through the scriptures, started sharing scriptures. 
and I'm going through. And then finally we get down to it, and I said, and she was against speaking in tongues, and, and I said, well, so far uh, I haven't heard you giving me any scriptures. I said, notice I'm just giving you scriptures. I didn't write this book, by the way. And every one of the New Testament writers spoke with tongues, every one of them. And I shared this scripture with her in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. I said, they all received the Holy Ghost. How did they know they received it? And because some people say, you know, it's got that good feeling. That's the Holy Ghost. I received it. Some people say it just automatically accompanies baptism. You're baptized in the spirit. And we know that's not true. We can prove that from Acts chapter eight because they came down to lay hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost because they had not received it yet. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been baptized in Jesus name, but had not received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter eight. And so we know for a fact, and Paul asked in Acts 19, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we, we don't even know. We've only been baptized. So, and they were baptized into John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. And so how do they know that they received the Holy Ghost? How did they know? And Philip, or not Philip, is it Philip? What's, um, not Philip. What's the guy's name? Kylie, help me out. In Acts chapter 8, he tried to buy the, the gift of Simon. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good. You guys are good. All right. M Mike was paying attention, and Christy was paying attention. That's good. So Simon, whatever he saw, you know, they went and laid hands on him, and then he said, oh, that felt really good. And he said he offered money to buy that. What? You know, is that what it was? Oh, I, I just accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Can I buy that gift where I can lay hands on people? No. No, there was something that happened, the laying on of hands. And how did they know that they received the Holy Ghost? 1045, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because then on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and answer Peter. So this is what I shared in that Bible study sitting at Starbucks. I said, if it hadn't been for these Gentiles speaking with tongues, I'm not sure there would be a Christian. This is what I said. I'm not sure there would be a Christian church outside of the Jews because they didn't even think that the Gentiles could receive it. I said, speaking in tongues is what started the whole Christian movement outside of the Jewish uh, Christians. And so um, this is the scripture that I use for that. And then do we see any evidence of Cornelius remaining? Acts chapter 10, verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And then reproduction. Well, we have to go to Acts chapter 18, verse 22. And when Paul, right, when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up, saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. Caesarea, the hometown of Cornelius, where he was from, 
When Paul had gotten there, there was already a church in Caesarea. So it looks to me like there's some circumstantial evidence that uh, Cornelius remained in the church. So remember, repentance is a gift from God. It's caused by revelation. And it follows the second and third step. No one who has not repented is called clean. And remember that vision that Peter had, those tarps coming down. What God hath cleansed, don't you call common. What God hath cleansed. So he's making a reference to Cornelius and his household. So had Cornelius already repented or not, he's, he seems to be referring to Cornelius' house when he's saying what God hath cleansed, don't call common. Um, Acts 11:18. when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. He gave repentance, granted repentance unto life. So... That was evidence to the Jews that the Gentiles now were able to have repentance. Cornelius and his household. God had cleansed them and God granted them repentance. So is water baptism the vehicle for remission of sins? Acts 10.43, to give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Acts 3, 19, Caleb. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts two thirty eight. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. The word for means to receive. Baptize in the name of Jesus Christ to receive the remission of sins. Colossians 2, 11 and 12, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. So two necessary components, components in water baptism. There must be much water, not just a little sprinkling of the water. Not just going around with a little cup and sprinkle a little water. It's, it's significant of burial and the name. And if it's not preceded by repentance, then you are just getting wet. So there must be enough water to immerse in, to plunge under, into, totally submerge, to dip, to bury. So for the candidate that wants to be baptized... They should first believe. They should first know that Jesus is the only God as well as his Savior. Cornelius and his household, they knew that. Number two, they must recognize that they are totally lost. Cornelius and his household, they recognize that. 
Number three, they must decide to do whatever is necessary to be saved. Cornelius said, hey, we're all here. We're ready to listen to whatever you have to say to us that the Lord has commanded. And that includes overcoming fear of water. Um, the fourth thing is repent to seek a change of motives. And just prior to baptism, full confession, uh, step one, desire for his lordship should be publicly confessed. And we, we, have, we already went through Acts twenty two sixteen. So Peter was sent to bring Cornelius to a fulfillment of God's plan. We are saved by grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8 says that. Not works, but we must do the works. So the eight steps are the first principles of grace, then also prescribed. I'm sorry. The eight steps are first principles of grace, then also prescribed works or experiences. Cornelius had steps one through five before Peter came. As far as the grace was concerned, but not in the work of step five. He had been given remission to become conditional upon obedience. Um, that's why Peter commanded it. He commanded to fulfill the step, the fifth step, where when God showed Peter and the others how f- far his grace had already been applied and received in Cornelius's life and home, his immediate obedience proves his sincerity to do all he knew to do. So Cornelius followed as far as he could alone in his work, in his principles. But he could not baptize himself. He has no such commission or authority. So Peter was sent to bring the works. Five, remission, baptism to completion. And so God supplied the grace and the work principle of receiving. And then baptism in the name of Jesus Christ to make make it possible to go into step seven and eight. So that's the... Eight steps in Cornelius's life. And that, so I'm just going to stop right there. Perfect. Good timing. We're like a couple minutes past 7.30. So, any questions? Good. All right. So, if you have any questions, ask Michael. He's really been paying attention. He's got the answer. He already gave one answer tonight. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right? That's good. That's good. That's great. That's awesome. So it's essential. We have some essential things. There's a lot of churches out there that are not preaching and teaching the essential things. A lot of different churches. And so when I come across these people, I, you know, I, I keep bringing them back to that first essential. That first essential. You've got to have this. You must build upon that foundation. And, uh, So, anyways, I'm going to have my wife pray in closing. Amen.